African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us on a new week as we end the month of June. Can you believe it? We're at that point already. And are you listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa? My name is Benjamin Moshatama. Today on our program, we're asking the big question, Africa rising. Is it still a relevant narrative? Africa rising. It was a bigger uh, kind of theme last year uh, before. Before we have that problem in terms of uh, commodities demands going low and uh, that seems to have been a big challenge in terms of Africa's investment and the climate within the continent in terms of getting that attraction for the continent. So we'll be discussing that but before we get into that let's get our news from Anne Musa. In the headlines, more than th- more than three thousand migrants rescued in the Mediterranean, seven contractors kidnapped by gunmen in southern Nigeria released, and DRC's President Joseph Kabila urged to step down at the end of his second term. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. We start with news just in. The acting CEO of the South African Broadcasting Corporation, Jimmy Matthews, has resigned saying recent changes at the broadcaster are wrong and he has compromised his values under the current leadership. Matthews posted a picture of his resignation letter on Twitter earlier indicating his decision to leave following widespread changes under COO Sadi Mutsuneng. Matthews says the corrosive atmosphere had impacted negatively on his moral judgment and made him complicit in decisions he was not proud of. Italian Coast Guard and Navy ships have rescued over 3,300 migrants in 26 separate operations in the Mediterranean over the weekend. The Coast Guard says the people were picked up from 25 ships and one boat, all north of the Libyan coast. One adult was found dead and another four injured migrants were transported by helicopter to the nearest hospital. Improved weather conditions in the Mediterranean have encouraged more migrants and human smugglers to attempt the crossing despite the dangers involved. Seven contractors, including a South African and three Australians, have been released four days after gunmen kidnapped them in southern Nigeria. Police had given conflicting accounts of how many had been seized and what their nationalities were. However, they all work for cement company Lafarge. They were taken on the outskirts of Calibre capital of Cross River State in the Niger Delta. Regional authorities say the four are unhurt. 
Zimbabwe's former Vice President Joyce Majuru has rolled out a national campaign for the 2018 elections in Matabele land and opposition stronghold. Majuru, who now leads the new opposition Zimbabwe People First Party, accused the government of being disinterested in the plight of the majority and promised to fight for the interests of ordinary citizens. She was expelled from the ruling party in 2014 after being accused of hatching a plot to topple President Robert Mugabe. The Democratic Republic of Congo's President Joseph Kabila has been urged to step down at the end of his second term in December. The call was made by members of parliaments from Africa, the Caribbean and the Pacific, as well as the European Union, at the 31st Joint Parliamentary Assembly session of the ACP-EU held in Vintuk, Namibia. President Kabila's plans remain unclear as he has neither confirmed his intention to step down Novi for re-election. Speculation is, however, rife that he will seek another term which the Constitution does not allow. And finally, National Chairperson of South Africa's ruling ANC, Balekambete, says the party's youth league has no valuable reason to push for a generational mixed agenda in the leadership of the ANC and Parliament. The league's president, Colin Mahine, reiterated his call for a generational mixed agenda when he shared the stage with the ANC president, Jacob Zuma, in Durban at the weekend. Mbete, who addressed young professionals in the Eastern Cape, says leading was a natural progression. I'm saying to you, there's always been generational myths. It's a myth to say there hasn't been and therefore there's a need for. So now I'm questioning, I'm saying, you want to lead, you will lead. In fact, it's a natural process of life that the older generation will make way for the younger generation. And the younger generation is best served by not hurrying. Recapping the top stories, more than 3,000 migrants have been rescued in the Mediterranean. Seven contractors kidnapped by gunmen in southern Nigeria have been released. And DRC's President Joseph Kabila has been urged to step down at the end of his second term in December. Hi, this is Lyra, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue, where we zoom into one matter on the continent and really debate issues that have to do with Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. On DSTV, I'm on channel 802, and that's on the audio bouquet. Today, we're asking the question, Africa rising, is this still a relevant narrative? We know that some years ago, it's 
still continues to be a theme that we adopt in terms of getting attraction, in terms of investment, tourism, in terms of our commodities, and also just the nature of Africa. Is it still a rising uh, continent? Is that narrative still relevant? We know the narrative of Africa rising has been one that's been challenged in this last year as global commodity demand and lower oil prices have lowered. And also this has lowered expectations for the continent. In this climate also we see political challenges that the African countries face which at times can deter investment and attraction from the rest of the world. So is the African rising narrative still a reality for the continent? We know that there was a Discussion that took place in UNISA just recently as part of Africa Month. And also, uh, the brand South Africa is also bringing forth this week this conversation, Africa Rising. So, we're partnering up with these two uh, really conversations and saying, is it actually rise? We've got Theo Sibia, who's a partner at AT Kini, and he was also a keynote speaker at an event that took place looking at this subject. And Professor Ruela Mila is a professor of project management and project procurement systems at the UNISA Graduate School of Business Leadership. We've got Brand South Africa's general manager for communications, Ms. Manusha Pillay. So we'll find out what this discussion will be as well on uh, uh, Thursday. Let me start with you, Theo. This narrative, do you think it's still relevant or should we be altering this expectation of Africa rising? Um, good um, morning to you, uh, Benjamin, and thanks for having me in your talk. And um, I'm, I must say up front that I'm, I'm very excited that we're having this discussion because I think far too often when things are not going our way, we believe it's all doom and gloom. And the Africa rising narrative, in my view, is still very much uh, a topic, and I think Africa is still definitely the next the next big thing. So, fair enough, uh, we have had our challenges most recently, but I think um, without doubt, um, Africa still offers huge, huge, huge potential. And and the reason mm-hmm. I say this very quickly, um, I mean we have data and we've done quite a lot of analysis. Um, Africa is still projected to be the second fastest growing region globally um, after mm-hmm. after Asia. And Sub-Saharan Africa, on its own, is forecast to be um, to, to actually grow faster than what's called emerging Asia, where Asia without without China. So mm. it still offers huge potential. And within Sub-Saharan Africa, there's definitely some stars and some other uh, regions that are um, obviously not growing at the at the same rate. So overall, I think it's still definitely very topical, and it's something that we need to discuss extensively. Mm. We'll come back to some of those projections that were made and what could be the contributing factors which makes uh, Africa stand as a strong space in terms of our competitiveness, in terms of uh, our economy. But let me move to you, Professor Rolamila. Let me ask the same question that I asked Theo. Is this still a relevant narrative, the Africa rising story that we are telling from the continent? Well, well. First of all, thank you, Benjamin, for inviting me. Well, actually, I, I concur with you 100% on this, and uh, I think, and the reason why I do this uh, is actually based on on the facts. Um, if you look at the continent generally. I think people talk about Africa rising in terms of thinking that uh, rising does not have uh, does not have uh, troughs and peaks. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, because sometimes things don't work out, but that doesn't mean actually that the process should not go on. For, uh, and I start from a situation of inadequacy, uh, looking at the inadequacy of infrastructure in Africa, which in my view is the single biggest threat to Africa long-term growth. But at the same time, it is actually a significant opportunity for investors to finance uh, the physical infrastructure assets, such as ports, railways, lines, toll roads, and all that, because mm. we still actually need those. And those are opportunities. And, and that's why I feel very strongly, yes, that uh, Africa is still rising, and I concur with CEO's argument. Mm. Let me bring in the brand South Africa's General Manager for Communications. You bring this uh, conversation to the forefront once again, um, uh, Manusha, in terms of uh, uh, the event that was going to be taking on place on Wednesday in Johannesburg, and it's looking at uh, uh, African competitiveness. Uh, brand South Africa will host a dialogue to analyze the findings of the World Economic Forum's Africa Competitiveness Report 2015. Why come back to this narrative? Is it because of the challenges we're facing currently? It's because, as your two other esteemed guests have said, the topic is very topical, Mm. it's very current. Um, And again, just because there may be challenges doesn't mean that the African narrative is dead or that the rising story is something we should be writing an obituary of. Um, And I think it's also very important, the fall in the commodities and and some of the economic challenges, those are some of the best opportunities we could have. I believe it's Winston Churchill who said, don't waste a good crisis. And this is forcing some of the economic situations and the economic environment we are finding ourselves in as a continent, not just as specific countries, forces us to actually move forward and set our own paradigms, our own standards for development. What do we want for the people of our continent? And there's no better time for us to start implementing Agenda 2063. It needs to stop just being a document. Mm-hmm. Well, um, coming back to that issue that uh, Professor Rolamila highlighted, Theo, is the fact that, uh, you know, the whole integration program of our infrastructure is one that I've criticized constantly on our program, speaking to NAPAD, speaking to the African Union, and saying this program is taking too long. It's a bit of a slow process. Uh, this integration process is actually one that actually is not accelerating enough because, as well, we don't know where the investment is coming from for that program. Your thoughts on that in terms of the intra-trade linked to this infrastructure issue? Theo? Yes, sorry. Um, so, yes, I think um, the professor mentioned a very, very important point in respect of infrastructure. Um, I think uh, the latest stats have it that uh, Africa has a $110 billion US dollar uh, per annum uh, infrastructure backlog. Um, a lot of that infrastructure deals with uh, integration issues and unlocking uh, some of those issues. I mean, mm-hmm. as it stands... Mm-hmm. Um, um, Africa at this mm. point in time, in terms of intra-Africa trade, sits at about 12%, where versus, you know, Europe, which is sitting at about 70%, Asia at about 50%. So a lot of the the opportunities we, we actually have at our, our own doorstep, um, and you know, it is true that we have been somewhat uh, sluggish in exploiting mm. those opportunities, mm. mainly for political reasons and uh, uh, associated, but also for funding. Because funding is, is a critical enabler of, mm-hmm. of any of the economic activity that we need to see. I would also just like to say very quickly, I think the, inter- the, the infrastructure question is very, very strongly linked to the power question. And if you can address mm-hmm. the power question, you unlock a lot of the, 
the infrastructure question uh, uh, challenges as well as uh, regional uh, trade opportunities. Mm. Well, we're going to come back to that issue. I need to take a break. So I'll come back to uh, Professor Rolamila and uh, Manusha Pillay, who's joining us. And if you're just joining us, uh, we've got Theo Sibio as a partner at AT Kini as well, joining us on the line. Professor Rolamila is the Professor of Project Management and Project Procurement Systems at the UNISA Graduate School of Business Leadership. And we've got Brand South Africa's General Manager for Communications joining us on the line. The question we're asking is the narrative that Africa is rising one that's still relevant and uh, remember you can give us your thoughts sms us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org we want to hear your thoughts let's take a quick break we'll be back Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs, educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays. 1000 hours to 10:45 a.m. Central African time and on Saturdays 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for those who are listening to us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Thank you for always being part of our narrative of Africa. And today we're asking the relevant question, Africa rising, is it still a relevant narrative? Give us your thoughts, SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. Another way you can get hold of us is by email our email address is info at channelafrica.org and today we are joined by Theo CB a partner at AT Kini as well as Professor Ruelamila who's a professor of project management and project procurement systems at the UNISA Graduate School of Business Leadership we've got Brand South Africa's general manager for communications and I want to come back to the issue of intertrade there because that seems to be we need to unlock that space even more especially with these projects 
projects that you highlighted, Professor Arwalamila, in terms of uh, uh, this infrastructure regional integration that we want to see. Uh, in terms of the you know bottlenecks there and the issue of the fact that it's still a power struggle, how do we dismantle the politics around this infrastructure uh, uh, project, Professor? I mean, that's where actually we have uh, a million questions there because uh, I think the issue is more about leadership. It's, it's leadership within uh, different countries. It's leadership across uh, uh, the various uh, economic blocks within the continent uh, because you need actually a conducive environment for, for, for actually the inter-trade to be able to take place. But at the same time, you need, of course, to be able to work hard to make sure actually that uh, transport between countries is actually dealt with. But uh, over and above that, I think it's what CEO said. It's the question, for example, of solving the problem of the energy deficit. Because most of these things are not going to happen. How are you going to be able to get what you're supposed to transport between countries or, Mm. or movements? We need energy sufficient energy because uh, you're actually talking about um, if you say two in every three africans have no electricity as we speak now mm-hmm. now to be able to move from that you need first of all to be able to attract those who want to invest and uh, investing you need actually to convince them that those countries are safe for people to be, for those uh, businesses to be able to, to 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 do whatever they can do and and so you actually need good leadership uh, uh, and of course you need good policies for you to be able to create that kind of environment. Mm. Yeah. Coming back to Brand South Africa, in terms of the issue of uh, um, Africa's competitiveness, uh, uh, from a reputational perspective, we've seen also in South Africa that politics plays a huge role in harming our economies and investment, uh, Manusha. Um, how, how much is that much of a big challenge, especially projecting uh, images of our countries? I know Brand South Africa is very much focused on the image of uh, the country South Africa itself. How does politics actually make your job a little bit harder, Manusha? Well, I would like to say politics influences the environment in which we work rather than mm. harming. It's not always negative. Okay. Um, the fact that we, we, we have a politically conscientized um, community and citizenry is actually not a bad thing because politics does influence a lot of the work and a lot of the environments in which we are. But brand building is actually about more about what you do rather than what you say, mm. as is competitiveness. Um, we cannot, just by me saying or, or any communicator or any PR person saying this is a competitive company or a competitive country, it will not necessarily make it competitive. Sure. Reality has to speak for that and reality has to show that. So some of what we've been hearing from the other panelists about what we need to do to start to get Africa moving forward, those are the things that will contribute more heavily to the competitiveness and the brand of this continent rather than just what we read on headlines. Mm. I hope that that makes sense. Sure, it does. Theo, that narrative, especially in South Africa, we've seen it a lot where our politics have damaged really our economic outlook as well in terms of investment. And also in other countries of the world, we know that in in, in the continent we've seen conflicts, we've seen the issue of terrorism, we've seen an issue of political divisions, the idea of a monarch, not monarchies, but uh, presidents who stay for a long period of time in presidency that doesn't attract investment those are the challenges that Africa actually is facing and they actually compete with this narrative of Africa rising Theo your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think I, I, I think it's a very important point, um, and I have to uh, agree wholeheartedly with Andrew's comments and, and the professor's comments on that. Mm. You know, we we need to move away from a paradigm that says government is a disabler, but government is more an, an enabler, and this is tied into to the whole question of, of leadership as well. However, we must also appreciate that government, um, and uh, even with strong leadership, cannot succeed on its own, and that it's about creating an environment that you have other players that are critical to the equation, such as your private sector, civic society, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a, a holistic solution and a sort of a, a, a collaborative approach that is required to actually accelerate the gains in the, in the manner that we'd like to see um, mm. on, on the continent. Mm. So, you know, um, we, we need to get all the pieces of the puzzle working together and get everyone aligned around the vision and, you know, the, the objectives that we'd like to achieve. Mm. Mm. You know, also what's challenging for me of the African narrative is the fact that we're not telling it very much strongly enough at times. And sometimes it, we clouded by the challenges of the continent. We've seen lately that the main issues that we're dealing with are the conflicts, are the narratives that are telling more, more of a negative story of, of the continent. And we see that becoming a recurring issue for the continent, Professor Rolamila, that us Africans ourselves are not telling their narrative. Narrative itself, and we're the first ones to say, "Well, let's relook this Africa is rising narrative." I'm not so sure about it. It's actually themse- the Africans themselves who impose that on themselves, which is very contradictory. Well, I, I think I think I think you are right, Benjamin, and I think what uh, what Manusha said that uh, it's not what you say; it's what you do. And I think that is not only the responsibility of those actually who are in government, but all of us, uh, professionals and uh, whoever actually gets an opportunity to be able to do that. But, but at the same time, I think we need as well to move away from the thinking where you find one or two countries are facing so many problems, and there is a tendency actually of the tarring the whole countries with the same brush. As if actually mm-hmm. Africa is just a, a particular geographical uh, place with mm-hmm. only w- one one particular way of doing things. Sure. And I think uh, as well we need to move from there. But at the same time, I think we need to focus, when we are talking about uh, the opportunities, we need to, to, to put emphasis that uh, the conducive environment in these countries should be able to, to, to produce a sound economic policies, a favorable ego in the business environment, the the trade reforms and strategic alliances must be encouraged and the industrial capability needed to be stimulated and and all those aspects we we'll talk about them but then link those to the challenges which are facing and if there are any political dynamics which are happening across the continent we need to put them into context Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What, what are your thoughts around that, uh, Manusha, that issue of contextualizing the situation that Africa finds itself and not just isolating events because that also misrepresents uh, who we are as Africans? I couldn't be more passionate about it. So you've asked me the wrong question. I'd probably just take over. Take Um, over, take over, Manisha. I believe telling our own narratives will be critical to us actually contributing to the Africa Rising narrative and showing ourselves, firstly, as citizens, but in the world, that this this continent is in the right place and it's going in the right direction. Recently, our former chairperson wrote a piece about the, the matriarchal, 
the context from where Africa comes. She spoke about queens and empresses and rulers of the past. Mm. How many of us know that? What we see now is women wearing... Um, the the major narrative at the moment is about an African woman wearing a duke. Yeah. What does a duke mean? Where where are the queens? Where are the empresses? Sure. Where are the rulers? Um, what about who we are as a continent in terms of our citizens, our passion, our drive, our creativity? Recently, it's a South African story, but three South African graphic designers are in New York exporting South African culture, design, arts, creativity. What about the movie makers? Why don't we hear more about mm, Nollywood? Mm, mm. Why is it that we do not... We, there's many things that are out of our control. We may not be able to influence our leaders, leaders other than through elections or other unconstitutional means. But what we can is about what we do as citizens to portray ourselves in a more positive, in a more... In, we are leaders in our own right. Mm. We're doing amazing things. Why aren't we speaking about that? Mm. And also, before I let you go, because I think this, uh, I can't ask our other two guests on this specific question, is also the problem of controlling the trademark of Africa. That Africans, it's very diff- it's very hard for us, or maybe we don't really do it enough. We don't really carry that trademark of Africa efficiently. And how can we improve that area in terms of saying, this is the narrative we want to tell, and we want to also control you know, that trademark. Manusha? Um, What is an African trademark? We often hear this thing about being an African. What does it mean? We're citizens. We're citizens of this continent. We live here. We, We carry its vibe. We carry its traditions. We carry its heritage. Why do we need just for this to now be defined on an academic scale? I'm not saying that it doesn't count, but I'm saying why are we always looking for definitions? Why don't we just be the amazing people that we are? Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I'm going to let you go there, but it's a bad time to let you go, Manusha, because I felt like the passion was starting to come out there. But I know you have other things to do on your day, but thank you for giving us your time. We'll stay with Professor Rualamila. We'll stay with Theo Sibia there and continue this discussion of is Africa's uh, narrative of Africa rising still a relevant narrative to tell? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. Want to hear from you? Do send us your uh, thoughts as well on our Twitter handle at African Dialogue. We want to hear your thoughts there. This is Benjamin Mushatama. You're with me for the next 30 minutes. And uh, remember that you are listening to us on uh, 802 Audio Bouquet channel on DSTV and on our service into the continent on shortwave. We are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Let me take a quick break. I'll be back after this. Hi, this is Lyra, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue 
as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs, educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10:45 a.m. Central African time, and on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, that's us, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are proud to say that, hey, we want to tell that story of the continent. And it's actually the theme that we're speaking about today. Africa Rising is a still a relevant narrative. We've got Theos B, a partner at the AT Kini, and also we've got Professor Ruela Mila joining us from the UNISA Graduate School of Business Leadership. You know, that issue of trademarking our work, Theo, I think it's one that I can't undermine as much as uh, Ms. Manusha Pillay say we should be informal about it but i still think we should formalize our projects we should formalize our languages we should formalize our every creative area not just creative area but also business idea that comes from the continent because sometimes i think we underestimate that uh, potential that we have to actually monetize even our ideas for you yes this makes sense this makes for a very interesting discussion, you know. Um, I was just reflecting on Manusha's comments, and um, and uh, they really resonated with me. But I, I also see your your perspective in that. I mean, wh- what does it what does it actually mean to be African, and what is what is brand Africa, and what should it represent? And then, if and then if this if if we are able to define that, what does that then mean from a formalization perspective? So how do we how do we ensure that? We capture the value, whether it be through trademarks, whether it be through, you know, protection of IP or, or whatever means. Sure, sure. Um, but but at the at the at the core of it, in my view, is is a, a dialogue around what it means to be African and, and what it means to be. How, how do we want to project ourselves on the global stage? Um, I I spend a lot of time discussing these kind of these kind of topics. Mm, mm. Uh, and very often, very often, I mean, even in the, in, in the South African context, it, it becomes quite an, an interesting discussion and debate because there are instances where where a lot of people don't even, especially in South Africa, don't appreciate that they are African first and South African second. Mm. Um, and that prevents barriers to engaging and developing a common identity of what it means to be African. Mm. That's an interesting one. Uh, Professor Rolamila, what are your thoughts on that uh, in terms of that kind of leadership where we're able to actually take advantage of actually our brand, that, that brand Africarizing, that we can actually uh, make an income out of that? I feel that that's turning that brand Africarizing into an economy by itself. Yeah, yeah, yes, actually, I, I quite agree. if I can add on what Sio said. Uh, first of all, I think the question of trademark or whatever you want to call it, I think for me, formalizing, as you called it, I think, first of all, is telling the truth. 
uh, and telling mm-hmm. the truth means that uh, you know if you tell the story of what is happening in in, in the continent, you must be able as well to pinpoint certain areas w- w- which probably may be unique in terms of what is going on. For example, mm-hmm. if you go to East Africa, you'll actually find, for example, that there is a very strong informal sector. Mm-hmm. And this informal sector actually could be turned around actually and become probably formal, partly. Sure, sure. And, 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 but there, there is actually a need for innovations. Yes. And those innovations actually probably which may be addressing the dynamics of what is happening within that particular region. So, so, yes, I think we need as well yeah, to, to be able even to benefit actually economically by doing what you are calling the trademark, the, the formalization as mm, well. Mm. But, but can I just say there is actually one particular point which Theo raised when he was giving a keynote speech. Sure. And, and it was more related to the demographic changes yes, according yes. to the, the continent. I think when he said that probably by 2030, we are going to be talking about uh, the youth 72% population. of it, the Africa's population will be under 35 years old. Mm. Now, you can pick up a lot through those particular facts, through that particular statistics, because then you are looking at these young people who are going to embrace the technology. Those young people want to go to to study various uh, specializations and what have you, and you could actually turn this around, actually, in terms of an opportunity, but at, at the same time, you're actually trying to say that this continent is going to be more younger than probably another continent. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and what are the advantages of that, um, Theo? But I also I see a lot of disadvantages because there's a huge generational gap there, and also some of the disadvantages I see is the huge uh, un- unemployment rates that we're finding on the continent, which is a big challenge for young people. Yes, I, I think the, the the question is stated properly. I mean, you know, it is a massive opportunity, as the professor has highlighted. Mm. Um, but it, it is, you know, um, on one side an opportunity and on the other side uh, a challenge in that if we cannot put the, the youth to work, then you sit with a huge potential for social unrest, um, which could undermine uh, the, the Africa rising narrative. Mm. So um, the, the critical um, advantages that we see um, come first and foremost in terms of working population. So if you have a younger population, then, you know, typically it should translate to a um, higher percentage of uh, working population on condition that there is work for them to do. Sure. And if, a, if you have a huge working population, then you should see it come through in your productive capacity um, and hence improve on your competitive standing, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, that comes with a lot of other, other conditions. So I see it as, personally, I choose to see it as, an, as a huge opportunity. Um, I do, however, guard against uh, some of the, the social issues that are, are not being addressed that could undermine our potential in this particular area. I mean, 72% of Africa's population being under 35 is, is as the professor said, is, it will be unmatched globally. Sure. Uh, we will have the youngest population, and this should be something that we use to our advantage. Mm. And I think it's, it's fantastic to see also the industries that are actually accelerating in certain parts of uh, the continent. I know when there was the World Economic Forum just uh, this year that was held in Rwanda, mm-hmm. there was a lot of impression in terms of what's happening there in the ICT industries. Right. And when we look at what's happening in Kenya as well, that seems to be an industry that's really rapidly growing. Where are the potential in, in the industries that we're seeing on, on the continent? Because it's fascinating to see different uh, regions kind of accelerating in different parts of uh, industry. Theo, you can take that one. 
Okay. No, I think um, if, if, if I reflect, I mean, there were some very interesting discussions um, in, in the recent World Economic Forum, and I had the, the privilege of, of actually being there, and I was just wow. fascinated by all the, the innovative products that are coming up out of Africa, just based on, on circumstances, but also just the hunger to, to do things the African way, to do, do things uh, uh, differently. Um, I think on the ICT space, there's clearly uh, the young population has, has grasped the ICT opportunities and are coming up with really innovative products. Rwanda is a case in point in terms of its application of that sector. I think they just make some some huge, huge strides in, in that space. But you also have, you know, a shift, I would say, at a, at a country level towards uh, a shift in, in industri- industrialization policies. So as a result of some of the challenges we face with, um, uh, as Africa, the commodities are, you know, in decline and, and so forth. You've seen countries take firm positions in, in terms of their industrial policy, both from a design and execution uh, perspective. An increase in, for example, beneficiation of products. You've got rollouts of infrastructure projects. You've got all sorts of uh, innovative product, uh, innovation, innovative um, initiatives around mm-hmm. trying to, mm-hmm. you know, unlock trade trade between you know regions and between uh, different different sectors. So I would look and say, you know, East Africa seems to be taking the lead in the ICT space. There are huge strides being made in West Africa in terms of beneficiation. So, for example, Nigeria will be building a refinery. I think Dangote is committed to building a refinery, which is a massive massive step uh, for on African continent. And then there's other regions of the continent that are looking to spur agriculture and to drive the power the power agenda more aggressively than others. So those would be the sort of industries that I see popping up Mm, um, mm. in the various areas that are stimulating growth and, and development. Mm. Professor Rolamila, your um, sentiments in this regard and the fascinating dynamics that we're starting to see on, uh, you know, just the portfolio of Africa, it's a huge one, isn't it? Oh, very, very <laughs> much so. And, and if I could actually add it to what CEO was actually saying, for example, when we started, we were talking about the energy deficit. And, and if you look at some of these uh, organizations, which uh, are more um, from different blocks, for example, you have got the, the Maghreb Committee for Electricity in the north of, of the continent. You have the West African Power Pool in, in West Africa, and Southern African Power Pool, the East African Power Pool, the Central African Power Pool. And, and if you look at what they want to do, you could actually see quite clearly that uh, if most of their strategies are going to be successful, we may actually find ourselves probably solving the energy problem. And the mm-hmm. consequence, of course, that, that is going to trigger a little bit more of actually beneficiation, which Theo uh, uh, is talking about, and probably being able to encourage the SMMEs uh, to, to actually be able to, to, to take and actually do more in terms of, uh, of uh, commodities and what have you. Mm. Yeah. And I want to wrap it up in, in, in this sentiment and saying in the challenging times that we find ourselves what is our role as Africans? And let's start off with you, Professor Rolamila, and we'll end it off with Theo. What is our role in telling this narrative uh, in these challenging times where we find ourselves in a very uh, much of a challenging economy in the world and we see what's happening in Europe? There's a huge question of the Europe identity as well there that's coming into the fold there. How does Africa assert its place in the world in terms of telling its own story? 
Yeah, well, I, I think I think the first start, Benjamin, is actually to, to to agree actually that we are Africans and we need to feel proud that we are Africans. But at the same time, we need to be true to ourselves and to be able to acknowledge actually that uh, while there are so many opportunities, there are uh, a lot of challenges. But those challenges are, are actually are not insurmountable. Mm-hmm. And, and we need actually to be able to, to tell the story in terms of context of actually what is happening. If there are areas, for example, which uh, are going through turmoil, we need to be able to, to talk about them. But at the same time, we need to look at the initiatives of what is going on, but without crowding every country as if actually what is happening in one country is exactly what is happening in other, another country. Mm. Theo, your final sentiments in terms of how do we tell the narrative in the challenging times we find ourselves in? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I, I really have to uh, echo the professor's sentiments and then just add a, a few little points of my own. Sure. In that, you know, I, I think we find ourselves in a situation, on a global situation, there's a lot of turmoil and a lot of uncertainty. Let me put it that way, not necessarily term, a lot of uncertainty um, in the developed world uh, as well as the emerging, emerging economies. I see us, you know, capitalizing on, on the current dispensation because um, I think it presents huge opportunities for Africa. Now, what do we need to do to, to capitalize? We've got to strengthen governance, and that, that's, a, that's a given, so we can ensure safety and, and improve investment climate. We've got to ensure that we have alignment um, across um, multiple stakeholders, because I think if you, if you don't have the alignment, then a lot of energy is wasted. And then thirdly, we need to focus on execution. I think one of the big challenges that we face is we, we, we find ourselves planning over and over again, mm. coming up with different plans and having regional uh, dialogues, et cetera, et cetera, and developing some of the best plans, but our execution leaves a lot to be desired. So my, my emphasis would be this is Africa's time, but we've got to move and we've got to move quickly. Well, fantastic. Well, when I started off this program, I didn't know we'll be this optimistic about <laughs> things. So I wasn't sure what the conversation was happening. But it's good to know that actually there's a way forward for the continent. Thank you to both our guests, Theo Sibia. Thank you as well to Professor Rualamila for giving us their time today. Thank you. Well, that's how we wrap it up. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, hey, we heard the positive outcomes. What are your thoughts? Give us your views. Maybe you have a different sentiment. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That is our SMS number. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. You can also email us at info at channelafrica.org. That takes us to 11.45 Central African time. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with our business news and our sports. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, Amanda Machaka now joins us. She'll give us our business news.
Thank you, Benjamin. Good morning. Business Development Fund in Rwanda has been challenged to play a critical role in helping the country create more jobs to reduce youth unemployment and underemployment in the country. Minister of Trade and Industry Francois Kanimba said the government is counting on the fund as a key stakeholder that will help Rwanda achieve its national employment program targets by facilitating small and medium enterprises development. Kanimba was speaking during a handover of 35 motorcycles to BDF at the Ministry head offices in Kigali. Telecom Egypt will receive a second tranche of withheld dividends from Vodafone Egypt amounting to 84.46 million US dollars. The state owned landline monopoly owns 45% of Vodafone Egypt, which had been withholding dividends since 2012 because of difficulties repatriating profits. Vodafone's General Assembly has agreed to issue the dividends to shareholders. Zambia's kwacha has climbed to its strongest in more than two weeks or as much as 1.3% against the dollar as exporters offloaded the greenback to make month-end payments. The kwacha touched a session high. A trader at a Lusaka commercial bank says exporters are in the market converting dollars to kwacha to meet their month-end obligations such as salaries. South Africa's Finance Minister Praveen Gordon says is concerned that the financial market volatility that Britain's decision to leave the European Union has caused could hurt investment flows into South Africa. The move sent the rent down more than 8%. Gordon says South Africa attracts investment from countries such as the United Kingdom, Germany and other countries in Europe. And Africa's richest man, Aliko Dangote, plans to launch Nigeria's first private crude oil refinery by 2019, while almost doubling his cement production. Dangote says the 12 billion U.S. dollar refinery would have a capacity of 650,000 barrels a day. Until recently, Nigeria was Africa's biggest crude oil producer, but imports 8 80% of its fuel because poor maintenance means its four refineries never reach full output. And now for a look at your financial indicators. The U.S. dollar is trading at 15.3 to the South African rand, at 10.84 to the Botswana Pula, and at 10.79 to the Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 0.72 to the British pound and at 0.89 to the euro. On to commodities, gold is at $1,324 and platinum is at $985 per ounce. And the price of Brent crude oil is at $48.23 a barrel. And that's how it's looking at this hour. South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Good day, sports fans. I am Usiwudi Makura with the latest sports news at this hour. Starting off with athletics news, Team South Africa have retained their title as the leading athletics nation on the continent, finishing top of the medals table for the second successive edition of the African Senior Championships. The 96-member squad earned a total of 33 medals, including 16 gold, 9 silver and 8 bronze at the five-day showpiece, which came to a close in Durban on Sunday. Versatile athlete Kasta Simeya was the star performer adding 800 meter as well as the 4 by 400 meter relay titles to the 1,500 meter gold medal she bagged earlier in the week. In her specialist two lap race she secured the win in 1 minute and 58 seconds and she returned to the track later in the afternoon as she led the SA quartet backed by Wenda Nell, Justine Palframan as well as Janelle Hiesel to a new national record of 3 minutes and 28 seconds in the women's relay final. Semenya says it was a good performance by the 4 by 400 meter women's team. We're happy with the performance. We, 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 we really, you know, you know, surprised, especially in the 400. So, yeah, but I think we're ready for Olympics. <laughs> yeah, we've qualified, but uh, we still have to, I think, produce another performance. We'll just hear from the Federation and the Olympic Committee. But uh, according to them, I think we have to run it twice. But yeah, I've qualified for events, so it's fantastic. At the same, t- at the same time, Wenda Nell was excited about the woman's performance. I'm very excited about it. Um, I didn't come into the relay imagining we're going to break the SA record, so it's quite an extra bonus. Um, I knew we, we were a strong team, but I mean, you don't always get your hopes up too high. And everyone had a hard competition, so a hard championship, so everyone's a little bit tired. So I'm very, very proud of the girls. I think we, we stuck together nicely as a team and we gave our best. On to Rugby News, junior Springbok coach Dawi Thuron has described his team's 49-19 defeat against Argentina and the bronze playoff at the World Rugby Under-20 Championship in Manchester, England as one of the most disappointing moments of his career. The junior box were outscored six tries to three by a physical and well-balanced Argentine side at the AJ Bell Stadium despite an enterprising opening quarter which saw them build up an encouraging 19 17 lead. While at the same time, two South Africans, fullback Kerwin Bosch, as well as Edward Fundamadva, were named in the dream team following the conclusion of the World Rugby on a 20 championship this weekend. On to tennis news, top seed Novik Djokovic will begin the defense of his Wimbledon title when the tournament gets underway on Monday. The world number one opens play on center court against Britain's James Ward. Djokovic arrives at the Old England Club as the new French Open champion, holder of all four Grand Slam titles and on course for the first calendar year slam since Rod Laver back in 1969. The 29-year-old is a strong favorite to become only the fourth Man in the open era to win a hat trick Wimbledon of ti- a hat trick Wimbledon titles. I've been, uh, uh, you know, very blessed to to achieve uh, this childhood dream and win this tournament three times. I, I still feel that um, that kind of excitement as I'm coming in for the first time. So, uh, uh, of course, uh, situation this year is. It's quite different from from previous years because I'm coming in with a Roland Garros title for the first time, and uh, that gives me obviously a lot of confidence prior to prior to this event. 
That is the semi-final day of the Wheelchair Tennis Bolokwane Open currently underway at the Bolokwane Tennis Club in South Africa's Limpopo province. It hasn't been a good morning for South Africa as a number of the country's top players tumbled out this morning. Anthony Morotanya, Wheelchair Tennis South Africa's National Public Relations Manager, has the details. Uh, it's actually the uh, semi-final day of the Airport Company South Africa Polokwane Open here at the Polokwane Tennis Club in Limpopo. It hasn't really been a good morning. Uh, I think it just indicate that um, there was a huge uh, upset from a Nalani boat from Switzerland who actually defeated top seed Mariska Fenta. I'm talking a 15-year-old who's still a junior, defeated uh, Mariska Fenta 7-6, um, 5-5, break 6-2. And uh, in the mains, uh, top seed Leon Els went through into the, same, in, in the finals after demolishing uh, our top junior uh, a wonderful time, um, six one six love. And finally, in swimming news, Michael Phelps won't swim the 200-meter freestyle at the U.S. Open trials, leaving the 18-time gold medalist with four events in his push to qualify for the Rio Olympic Games. After the 200-meter butterfly, which begins with heats on Tuesday morning, Phelps is also entered in the 100-meter butterfly, the 100-meter freestyle, as well as the 200-meter individual medley. Phelps, who turns 31 on Thursday, won the 200-meter freestyle at the uh, 20 at the 2008 Beijing Games as part of the historic Eight Gold Hall. But he hasn't excelled in the events since coming out of a brief retirement that followed the London Games. While a strong 200-meter freestyle swim at the trials might boost Phelps' claim to a 4-by-200-meter freestyle berth, it's not essential. Any swimmer on the Rio team can be selected for any relay, and Phelps coach Bob Bowman, who will serve as head coach of the U.S. men in Rio, said before the trials that a strong showing and other events would be enough to put Phelps in the relay mix. For Zaya Sports News at the Sour, stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining me on our program today. Remember, we're on uh, plus 27796957930. That's how you get hold of us via SMS. SMS us your thoughts. Is Africa rising still with all the challenges that we find? Do you think that story that we're saying that Africa is rising a relevant story? Or you can email us at info@channelafrica.org. That's how we wrap up the show. We've got uh, Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, all the way from South Africa. We know that's the wonderful a cappella group that's won so many Grammys. We can't even remember how many they won, but uh, we're so proud of them. This one is titled Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. She don't try to hide diamonds on the sources and shoes. Empty as a bucket, empty as a bucket with nothing to lose. She got diamonds on the sources and shoes. Oh, 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 o